0: For those of us who are single, culture will say, well, your singleness means you can do whatever you want. Actually, we should be thinking if we're single, no, my singleness is so that I can be serving others rather than just using my singleness to serve myself.
1: Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Sam Albury. Sam is a pastor, a visiting professor at Cedarville University, and currently serves as a global speaker for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. His books include, Is God Anti-Gay? And more recently, Seven Myths About Singleness with Crossway. In our conversation today, Sam and I discuss his own experiences as a single person, including awkward conversations with married people, what Jesus's life can teach us about what it means to be fully human, and the common belief that singleness requires a special calling from God. Let's get started. Sam Albury, thank you for joining us on the Crossway Podcast. Uh, I want to start by talking about your grandfather, um, who's just a few months shy of 100 now, is that
0: right? No, he's he's now a few months over 100. Okay,
1: okay. Um, tell us about him, and, and how does his story uh, help illustrate the importance of the topic of singleness.
0: Thank you. Yes, he's a, he's a, a, a wonderful man. He turned a hundred um, a few months ago, um, actually nearly a year ago. Goodness. Um, and as is the custom in the UK, if you if you make it to a hundred, you get a, a letter from the Queen, kind of congratulating mm-hmm. you. So he got that. But here's what what it got me thinking about. I remember as a young kid it being the golden wedding anniversary of my grandparents, their 50th wedding anniversary, big family party. It wasn't that long after their golden anniversary that my grandmother died. And so when my grandfather turned 100, it made me realise he's not. it's not going to be much longer before he will have been single for longer in his life than he was married, even though he was married for over 50 years. So it just brought home to me that so often we, when we think of singleness we think of the not yet married and that's a that's a growing demographic in our culture certainly but actually there is a just a significant number of people who will be single again and that that might be a for a significant period of time um and I think we often tend to think of marriage as being well I've said goodbye to my days of singleness now um but even if a marriage doesn't end through divorce, you know. Not to, to put too fine a point in it, couples don't tend to die together. And so over half the people who are currently married are going to be single again. And for some of them, that that return to singleness could still be decades long. Mm. So there's a it just brought home to me the how relevant the topic of singleness is for all of us. And just being married doesn't mean, oh, well, I, I'm done with singleness now. You may still have many years of singleness ahead of you.
1: Hmm. Share a little bit about your own personal story and your own experiences as a single person.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm not only single, but have never not been single. Um, I'm now in my, I, I'm gonna just call it early 40s still. Or really, really late 30s. Mm. Um, uh, So, yeah, just never never been married. Um, And I think one of the things I've realized, although singleness feels very normal to me because I've never been married, it is different being single in your 40s to how it wasn't in in your 20s. And, you know, it may well be very different in my 50s and 60s. People who are single at that stage of life tell me it's different again. So, there's not one kind of universal experience of singleness and Just, I guess, married life looks different in your 30s to in your 50s to in your 70s as well. But it's certainly the case with singleness that the issues that we need to think through in terms of how do we look after the single people who are in their 20s are very different to the issues for how do we look after the single people in their 40s or their 50s. In in what ways? Well, I think a lot of people in their 20s still have a lot of unmarried friends, People are beginning to get into the kind of the marriage zone. But generally people are, if they've recently graduated, they're still sort of doing friendship in the way they did as a student. And so you're still kind of in each other's lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, My experience was that as I got into my 30s, more and more of my friends were getting married and beginning to have kids and were therefore just less available and so they they moved from being do life with friends to catch up with friends which is great we need both but it it meant i f- it it then became harder in my 30s and now in my 40s actually to find friends I can do life with um, a single friend of mine who's in her late 60s has said that actually it shifts again as you know, people become empty nesters. Suddenly, they're they're more socially available again. and wanting to reconnect with friendships and and all the rest of it. So it just means that the, the the pastoral needs, the life experiences, the the positives and the negatives of being single, all change and shift over time hmm. in different seasons of life.
1: You write that uh, the topic of singleness can be a conversational cul de sac. <laughs> Uh, particularly with married friends, what do you mean by that?
0: Uh, I, what I mean by that is, is typically, if you meet someone, you know, the the very first questions we tend to ask each other are, you know, what do you do, and do you have a family? Um, and when you, when you, someone asks you if you're married or if you have a family, the answer yes then opens up suddenly several other avenues of conversation. Oh, really? How long have you been married? Or what ages are your kids? And and then all of a sudden you're you're off to the races, and there's Tons of stuff to talk about. I've, I've sometimes found that actually when someone says, oh, do you have a family? Are you married? And I say, actually, I'm, I'm still single. they they The conversation just grinds to a halt because people don't know where then to go with it because there's, there's no obvious next follow-up about, you know, how is little Johnny and all the rest of it. So it can be a bit of a conversational cul-de-sac in that sense. It feels a bit like we suddenly hit a dead end and it can sometimes feel a bit socially awkward. Um... I'm English, so everything feels socially awkward. But uh, I think sometimes people, particularly when you're at the age where the, the normal expectation is you would be married by now, when when you then say that you're, you're not married, people then kind of, you can see them thinking, oh, uh, oh, and then not quite knowing what to do next. Wh- so, um,
1: what are some of the kinds of comments, perhaps awkward comments, that you've received related to your singleness um, from maybe well-meaning friends who, who don't maybe always know what to say?
0: Yeah, I think um, sometimes it, it, it's just from strangers, to be honest, um, or the person you've not met before at church or something like that. But it, it might be, oh, are you not married yet? In a kind of, you know, you've, you've just not kind of grown up to this stage yet. Um, sometimes people will kind of ask you, well, why not? Or... Or just instinctively respond with what they think is a necessary sympathy. So, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sure there's someone out there for you. So I've had all of those kinds of comments. Um, occasionally, if I've received like a, a speaking invitation somewhere, more than month, someone has said, would, would you like to come and, and speak at this place? Do, do feel free to bring Mrs. Albury as well, if you'd like. And my kind of snarky response to that is often, well, I'll see if my mother's free, but she may not want to come kind of thing. So it it can be, sometimes there's a response that indicates people think you should be married now. You're just not doing your job of being, in my case, a man properly if you haven't started a family or you're not doing your job as a Christian properly if you haven't kind of... Um, got married sometimes people assume it's just because you are trying to prolong your adolescence or your commitment phobic or you, you have an aversion to settling down rather than that it could be actually part of your calling and vocation but it the responses tend to have in common that they're assuming it's generally not a good thing if you're single at that stage when you should probably be meet, be married by now
1: hmm. Um in light of that, what what do you think are the reasons why we know that Jesus and Paul were never married? Um, and we don't view either of them, certainly not Christ, as less human, less fully a man. And yet, so often it seems that their example doesn't really inform our understanding of singleness today. Why do you think that might be?
0: I think it probably because I just don't think we think about it much. Um, and so with Jesus, we we can easily just shove him in such a different category of humanity anyway, because he's Jesus. Um, but I think you're right, we we forget that if, if the most fully human person who ever lived was never married, being unmarried can't be a diminishment of your humanity. When it comes to Paul, I think we either have a, a kind of caricature of him as being this very rare, almost unique kind of Lone Ranger kind of guy kind of you know well he was an apostle and he was in a unique situation um, even though Paul actually was very relationally involved and you can you see that in his letters he was not short of intimacy and friendship um, but I, I it's interesting if Paul was around now I think a lot of churches would be very pleased to have Paul as their apostle but not as their pastor and I think we don't take Paul's comments about the benefits and spiritual value of singleness I just don't think we pay attention to that these days.
1: What are some of those?
0: Well Paul talks particularly in 1 Corinthians 7 is, is the kind of passage he spends most time speaking about singleness and he says things that are very very surprising to our ears both in terms of what we you know we assume today if you're singleness, if you're single that means you're missing out on all the the necessary benefits of life that you get from being married. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that uh, he says, those who, who marry will have many troubles in this world and I would spare you that. So Paul's, Paul, the thing Paul primarily thinks of us missing out on if we're single is certain trials that come with being married. That's not what we would instinctively think. It's not that Paul has a low view of marriage. He says some of the most beautiful and lofty things about marriage in the whole Bible. But he's just aware that actually there are certain Trials that will come through marriage, through child rearing. That if you're single, you you just won't have to to deal with as as closely. But then he goes on to talk about how the person who is single is able to to serve the Lord, and that the language he uses in in a way that is less divided. We can give Lord the Lord undivided devotion, which I think is Paul saying that if we're single, we're typically being pulled in fewer directions than if we were married. Um, if, we're, if we're married and if we have children, we should be being pulled in lots of different directions. We have obligations to our family. Um, that is gonna give us less flexibility. Whereas if we're single, actually we can be, I think, far more flexible in how we serve the Lord, how we serve his people. Um, we can turn on a dime. Um, if you've got a family with with young kids, Just getting out of the door becomes a half-day process of finding shoes and bathrooms and getting the right limbs and the right coats and all that kind of stuff. So I just think that there's a, a posture we can have if we're single that can really serve the Lord. And the challenge of that is that actually, for those of us who are single, culture will say, well, your singleness means you can do whatever you want. Actually, we should be thinking if we're single, no, my singleness is so that I can be serving others rather than just using my singleness to serve myself.
1: Hmm. Um, so, some people seem to think that maybe looking at Paul as an example of this, uh, singleness is a special calling from God. And with that calling comes some kind of supernatural, or you say, superpower. To um, maybe not feel the need for marriage anymore and be able to resist temptation in a way that others can't uh, what do you what do you think about that
0: I think that's a caricature of what Paul is actually saying um, I think certainly our, our expectation from the Bible is that marriage is is the norm um, but that singleness is very highly commended in the New Testament especially. Um, So I don't think the Bible says that there's this kind of special calling that happens for you to be single. Paul just says everyone has their gift. One person has the gift of marriage, another has the gift of singleness. That is not saying that, you know, you've got to have some unique, special spiritual experience in order to feel as though you're called to be single. Um, Some people do have a sense that actually they feel as though the way they're wired or the opportunities they have in ministry or other circumstances mean that actually it makes sense for them to intentionally remain single. But um, I think the language of, oh, you need a special calling to be single implies it's just so intrinsically difficult that you have to be a kind of uniquely endowed kind of Christian to just be able to cope with it. And I think that undermines what Paul is actually teaching about the the goodness of singleness, the fact that he calls it a gift, just as marriage is a gift, it's a positive state from the Lord for us to be in. Um, And if we think it isn't, I suspect it's because either we're just not very good at honouring singleness in our churches or we've imbibed more than we realise of our culture's idolatry of romantic and sexual fulfilment. And so that we think, well, if I'm not married or with my special other person, that that's just a diminished form of life.
1: Yeah, we see that. It seems pretty obvious to a lot of conservative Christians the way our culture has idolized sex and that kind of intimacy. But how, in what ways, would you say that Christians, uh, the evangelical church, has um, maybe unwittingly accepted some of those ideas about about intimacy and sex mm. and celibacy?
0: I think we've largely bought into our culture's framework and, and then just lightly Christianized it. So whereas our culture will talk about romantic and sexual fulfillment, we kind of think, yeah, but we'll just call that marriage. But again, the the underlying thinking can be the same that actually, if you don't have that special relationship, then you're not really experiencing a, a, a full life. you're you're not experiencing love or intimacy. So what we've done is we along with our culture we have narrowed our view of intimacy and kind of collapsed it into um, sexual and romantic intimacy, whereas the Bible has a high view of non-romantic intimacy, of friendship, of family, of kinship. And yet culturally we've we've kind of reduced intimacy to to romantic and sexual relationships, which we've therefore created a, a culture in which, Actually, it's hard to experience intimacy if you're not coupled up, because we've downgraded all other forms of intimacy, and my my fear is that we've we've done more of that in the church than we realise, um, and we we've still we're still predominantly putting all of our our kind of eggs in the basket of romantic fulfilment, aka Christian marriage, and forgetting that actually Christian marriage itself is not meant to fulfil us; it's meant to point of our relationship with Christ, which does fulfill us, and that we're meant to be experiencing a a breadth of intimacy within the people of God, whether we're married or single. Hmm.
1: And what would you say are some things that churches could do? Maybe speak to maybe pastors first. What could pastors do to help cultivate that kind of culture where singleness is affirmed and not... um, immediately viewed as a negative
0: uh, several things one obviously is to is to teach on it and to teach the positives that the, the, the new, new testament gives us on singleness i think the other thing is we, we need to rediscover the art of of biblical friendship um the bible has a huge amount to say about friendship but i think we've not largely neglected so that would be another thing to teach um but i think more broadly than that, we we want to try to cultivate a kind of culture within our churches that that really does honour and cherishes friendship, and where we really do treat one another within the local church as a family. We often use the the kind of family language when we describe churches, but if we don't, if we're not following through on that, actually, it's it's deceitful. Um, that's meant to be a reality. And we want people who don't have their own nuclear family to feel as though they really do have spiritual family. Um, Otherwise, we're we're just not being church in the way the New Testament says we should be church. And what,
1: what one piece of advice or encouragement would you give to someone, a married person, who hears what you're saying and wants to do a better job of intentionally loving and reaching out to those who are single and uh, whether or not that uh, is by choice or uh, just by
0: necessity? Well, I think, the, I think the onus is on both sides, actually. So it's not just that we singleness we, we singles just wait around and all the marriages are meant to kind of invite us around. I think we need to take more initiative than we often do as well. But I think for those who are married, it's to remember that, that marriage is not meant to be an end in itself. It's meant to be a means of of service it's meant to be a gift through you to the wider people of God and the same with kids um, our, our biological or nuclear families again are not meant to be an end in themselves they're meant to be a means of service to others so I think it's good to be folding other people into our our family life not drawing a kind of um, red line around our family and, and kind of keeping everybody else out of it but actually opening up family life, and including people who otherwise wouldn't have an experience of family life, and actually that's a win-win. That doesn't just, you know, give the single person an experience of family life. It actually, it blesses the family too, because again, parents, that the nuclear family is not designed to be self-contained and self-sufficient, and it takes actually it takes a whole church <laughs> to raise kids, and so it's good to have other worked examples of the Christian life, other spiritual influences that are a regular part of, of family life, as well as the parents.
1: And what about those who are same-sex attracted? Particularly, I'm thinking of how can the church um, intentionally care for them um, in light of their unique struggles?
0: Well, I think all of the above. Um, many of the, the struggles for those who are same-sex attracted are very similar to those who are single for other reasons um, and may not want to be single um, so certainly I think again if we are commending a biblical view of marriage and sexual ethics we really do need to making, to be making sure that our, our churches are providing healthy intimacy and my fear is that if if someone's only choice in life seems to be either unbiblical intimacy or no intimacy, they're going to end up choosing unbiblical intimacy. And if that's the case, I think the wider church shares responsibility for that. So if we're calling people to live by the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics, then we need to be doing what we can to make that a a way in which people can flourish, that they're not actually missing out on, on human intimacy.
1: Thank you. Um, one last question. What encouragement would you give to the single person who is um, struggling with their singleness and has a desire for marriage hmm. um, but just it hasn't come yet.
0: Um, yeah, um, I think the encouragement would be that it's marriage is a good thing. so in that sense, it's it's a good thing to to desire and it's a good thing to pray for. It's probably not a healthy thing to fixate on or to really hanker after. And so I think part of the encouragement is that actually marriage is not going to be the answer to life struggles. Um, people who are married struggle too. And in one sense, what we're doing when we get married is we're exchanging the struggles of singleness with the struggles of marriage, and they're different. And therefore what we mustn't do is is compare the ups of marriage with the downs of singleness. Otherwise, we forget there are downs of marriage, too, and actually ups of singleness. So not to have a romanticized view of marriage, because as someone who's been involved in pastoral ministry for, for quite a few years now, I've seen some very unhealthy, very unpleasant, very difficult marriages. And I've seen people who are lonely in their marriage, So it's made me realize that actually sometimes it's easy for me to think, well, I wouldn't ever feel lonely if I was married. That's not necessarily true. And I think loneliness in marriage, I imagine, is much harder than loneliness in singleness.
1: Sam Albury, thank you for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: That was Sam Albury speaking about what it would look like for the church to recover a theological vision of singleness rooted in God's Word. For more, be sure to check out Sam's new book with Crossway, Seven Myths About Singleness, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.